Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. Hey, welcome to the Revival Life Church podcast. This week, as we pick up the service, we just completed a water baptism outside and we came back in, and then we're going to have communion together at the end of service. So if you don't have communion elements, go ahead and get them ready here at the beginning of service so we can have them together. As we start the Advent season, this is our first week of Advent. Uh, On the fourth week is Christmas, which we are going to celebrate together, and we just really pray that if you're unable to make it to church, that you would lean into expecting Jesus to come in your life. There was a great spirit of expectation in the service, and people experienced the closest of God. And we, we pray the same would happen to you as we start the new calendar of the church calendar today. And uh, I pray that you would enjoy this message and that it would bless your life. God bless. Come on in. If you got a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to, uh, uh, where are we going today? You can go ahead and turn to Matthew, excuse me, to Mark, and we will be right there. Again, we've seen one miracle. We're going for the second one before the third one, okay? Here here we go. You ready? Are you there? Tell your neighbor, that was nice. That was nice. That was nice. I love seeing people get water baptized and receive the Holy Ghost. Don't you? Don't you? I love it. I love it. I love it. I live for it. I love seeing people receive the Holy Ghost. So what my wife told you at the beginning of service, that this is the beginning of Advent. Now, uh, Advent, you may not have grown up with these words like Advent and Pentecost season and the Easter season. I remember when I was new in the Lord, I went to a church where you couldn't teach us nothing. We thought we knew everything, right? And if anybody tried to teach us something, we called it religious, right? If someone quoted some scripture and says, are you sure that this is how things go? We call it a religious. There's, there's nothing worse than a group of Christians that you can't teach nothing. Just dummies sitting on a log, think they know everything, think they know more than Jesus. And then as I went to seminary and I realized that the church actually stumbled on some things before we got here, I started checking out the value of some things. And, um, uh, Duke, can you do me a favor? I got a little clicker on my chair over there. And it's hard to use the clicker from here. I'm just, it's, 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 it's uh, you know, thank you. I do appreciate that. I do appreciate it. So this is what's called the, the church calendar. And, and that's a creative uh, version of it here. The year, the new year, starts with the first Sunday of Advent. So Happy New Year in the church calendar. And what the church calendar was made to do was to make sure that Christians celebrate the whole life of Jesus throughout the year. Now, if you went to a church, you this probably your pastor had a couple of his favorite scriptures that he preached 12 times a year in six different message series, right? Like it was the same message over and over and over. And uh, we just, we, we like to preach the whole counsel of God. And so the church year starts with Advent. And Advent is us preparing for Jesus' birth. The, the Advent of Christ is the birth of Jesus. So at Advent, we prayer, we're anticipation of the coming of Jesus. And so we spend our time making sure that we're ready for Jesus and his return or for us to go to be with him. Uh, at Christmas, we start the Christmas season. Christmas season actually doesn't start until, watch this, Christmas, right? It's not in the Christmas season leading, leading up to it. We're in the Advent season. At Christmas, we, uh, we begin to celebrate his incarnation. And then after that is the epiphany. What we celebrate is when Jesus was made manifest to the 
uh, the, the Magi, which is the first Gentiles who recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. So then we get into Epiphany. After that, we celebrate Lent. Uh, and Lent is the period leading up to Easter where we uh, kind of examine ourselves. Sometimes we set some things aside and we prepare ourselves for the death of Jesus, His sacrifice, which of course brings us into God's presence. But Jesus didn't stay dead, amen? He rose from the dead, and then we celebrate Pentecost. Pentecost is when Jesus was received 40 days later, the Spirit was poured out, and we stay in the Pentecost season for a long time. But there are, there are, um, we're in this Advent uh, season now, and for the next four weeks, we're going to be in Advent. And if you uh, followed along on our uh, social media, you saw that we, in our calendar this year, we are going to have first Advent Sunday, second, third, on fourth is Christmas Eve. And we're going to have Christmas service on the fourth week of Advent. The week after that is the 31st, and we're going to have a online service. Uh, we're going we're gonna to be home or wherever, and we're going to have service online. So that is the calendar. Now we're going to get in the Word of God. Oh boy, should have broke that up a little bit, huh? I hope you got a Bible. Zoe could do some reflow magic back there real quick. I'm sure she can do it, but this is what happens. We're going to go Mark chapter 13. I'll give you a second to get there, and we will join in together. Mark chapter 13. I'm going to open up my Bible. Mark chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 24. Let, us, let me know when you're ready back there. I'm sure you all with your young, super, super strong vision can, can catch that. My bride is back. Hello, honey. I can preach now. Now I'm ready to preach. My bride is here. We're dressed the same today. I don't know if you noticed. We match. I said I want to be cute like Tracy. She thinks I'm cute. Mark chapter 13, starting in verse 24. Well, Zoe, here we go. You ready? Amen. It says, But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers that are in heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then He will send forth His angels and will gather together His elect from the four winds, from the end of the earth to the end of heaven. Now, learn the parable from the fig tree. As soon as its branch had become tender and sprouts its leaves, you know that summer is near. Verse 29. So you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that He is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. Watch out, stay alert, for you do not know when the appointed time is. It's like a man away on a journey, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay, stay alert. Therefore, stay alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, so that he does not come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, stay alert. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen, amen, and amen. I, um, 
go ahead, uh, Zoe, if you could put it on the slide. Now. Appreciate that. Go ahead. Go to my first slide, if you would. We're going to work this out. I just, I just feel it in my spirit. We're going to work this out. There was an article this week in uh, the L.A. Times. Oh, we're not there. There we go. Oh, 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 there we go. There's an article this week in the L.A. Times, which is really funny. The title is the front page of the L.A. Times, and it says, How L.A.'s Atheists Work Out How to Be a Good Human. It starts with an unexpected adventure. What was fascinating about this was that uh, atheists uh, in L.A., which I do not mock, so if you know, you're on the fence with your faith, be, you can be at ease. I'm not here to bash anybody. We're not setting anybody up to be mocked or ridiculed. But what's happened is, in L.A., there's a group of atheists, people who do not believe that there is a God. And what they have found is that inside of them, there is a desire to be a good moral person. And within that, as they try to discover what morality would look like, they realize they can't do that on their own. They realize that they need some people to work that out with, and uh, they need to find a bigger reason than themselves to be on this planet. And so what they did was they gathered, and what they started doing was going on these hikes on nature trails. They would go into national parks there in the L.A. area. There's many of them, and they would go and go just observe, uh, observe God's creation, though they didn't know that's what they were doing. They are observing the earth and trying to come up with a reason why we're here. And as they began to do this, they, some of them realized, man, we, we need more than just to go on hikes. It can't just be about ourselves. Uh, and so they decided, man, we need, to, we need to have a community. And so they started meeting in community groups to talk about the meaning of life. And then they realized, man, if we're going to be moral people and we're going to have community groups, there has to be some sort of charitable work in helping other people. So they started collecting offerings so that they can give money towards those in need. And I said, that's, we, we just call that church. That's, you know, we just have come to the conclusion that as we walk this earth, there actually somebody created it. And his name is God. It's just what we call him for short. And, uh, and, 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 Jesus said, hey, you know, we should love your neighbor as yourself, and that requires us to be good moral people. And what I find not funny, but ironic about this, is that this group was espousing Christian moral tenets without giving any of the credit to God. Now, I think God is all for this. I'm going to be honest with you. I think God is for anybody trying to do good to their fellow man. I think whether they're doing it in the name of anything, He doesn't care. He just wants us to be better People. Now, ultimately, Jesus Christ wants us to put our faith in Him so that we can come to meet the Father and be filled with the Spirit. This is His ultimate goal. But by and large, Jesus, when He walked the earth, He was just like, do better. Right? That, that was His main goal. Just do better. And, and, and as they explore God's creation, this entire framework for understanding why we're here began to get more obvious to them. I believe that's part of the prophecy that the glory of the earth shall be seen as the waters cover the sea. I believe that there are frauds who do miracles, and it's not demonic. It's because there's such an understanding that God is doing certain things. Anybody can take part in it. And I believe that if people study nature long enough, they will come to the conclusion that there's something greater than themselves out there because the Bible says that the creation declares the glory of the Lord. 
it doesn't have to be either we murder people who disagree with us and we take advantage of them or there are people. Give me down a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm ringing a lot. I recently uh, started following the uh, Radical History podcast. I don't know if anybody follows it. And they talked about how Cortez overtook the Aztec Empire. There's a lot more to this story than I ever knew. It's crazy. Uh, but by and large, one little snippet really caught my attention. When Cortez went, and went inland and met the emperor, and the emperor took him to the temple, and there was human sacrifice happening at the temple. Now, of course, Cortez and his very Catholic army were offended by this, greatly offended, and he began telling the emperor that you are offending God. This is demonic. This isn't God at all. These are demons in charge of all this. And, of course, the emperor was like, how dare you insult my God like this? This is a problem. And Cortez solved the problem by murdering as many people as possible in the name of Jesus. Which is crazy. And as I was sitting there listening to this podcast, I thought, now what would happen? What would happen if Cortez went to them and said, man, y'all are killing people to be right with God. And nothing has changed. I don't know if you know this, but there was a perfect man who lived 2,000 years ago who was sacrificed. And there is no human sacrifice that will ever happen that will top that human sacrifice. And as a matter of fact, you don't have to sacrifice anybody ever again because that human sacrifice was the perfect human sacrifice. And by faith in Him, you can actually know the God you're trying to know. Instead, we turn to brutality or we turn to our desires or we take God's plan into our own hands and never come up with God's best. Anybody know what I'm talking about? This world is constantly trying to turn us away from God. The world is constantly giving us plans that don't reflect God's nature, trying to get us out of things that God wants us in, trying to get us into things God wants us out of. And, and after years of bad theology in the Catholic Church, there was this crazy theology of indulgences where if you paid enough money to the church and helped them build St. Peter's Cathedral, then you'll escape this God who is so excited about sending you to burn in hell forever. And the, and the sales pitch went something like this, God loves you so much, and if you'll pay some money to Him, you can save yourself from Him who wants to kill you. I, I, don't, I don't know what the theology looked like exactly, but I know it didn't make any sense. And, and so there was the, re, the, the Reformation who came along and said, hey, um, this doesn't really make any sense. I think we need to take another approach. Now, now, instead of telling people that God is really love and His love will attract you to the Father, we turn to earthly measures, threats, accusations, demeaning of an atheist maybe, maybe mocking other Religions. It's not as helpful as we think it is. And we try to use the devil's tools to get people into God's best. Have you, have you noticed that? And we think it's going to work. If you've ever told somebody about the love of God and somebody comes along and is like, you've got to let them know that God is a just God. He's going to burn them if they don't repent. His wrath is coming. I'm like, no, we don't, do, we don't need any of that. We just, that's, that's, that's not nearly as helpful as you think it is. Because... The Bible says that it's the love of God that draws people to repentance. 
I don't know about you, but it's when I met him and found out how much he loved me that I recognized what a sinner I was. Before that, I thought I was great. Then I met him, saw his love for me, and then I got convicted. It's kind of like when you have a partner, you know, a husband or a wife, and you're in a bad mood and you're angry at them just because you're in a bad mood and they do something nice and it. It's hard for you to enjoy it because you're mad at them. You know, like, like, I, like I'm too mad at you to be nice to me right now. I'm, I'm not ready for that. What we're saying is I'm too emotionally distraught to demonstrate love. Where God is just love all the time. He's just on love all the time. And, and, and we don't see this anxiety, this anxious fear that religion tries to produce in people. The writers of the Bible are not trying to communicate that we should be scared of God. The Bible talks about a reverential fear of the Lord. In, 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 in Proverbs chapter 9, it tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 1 tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, if knowledge and wisdom come from the fear of the Lord, they cannot be the same kind of fear as fear of going to jail or fear of being tortured. There's a, it's got to mean something different. So there's a reverential man, like I'm, like, 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 if you think you're going to go to the NBA, and then you play with somebody who is going to the NBA, you're like, oh, he's different, right? Like, oh, he, that's that's different right there. Or like when I play a little keyboard, and then Mikey comes to play, I'm like, okay, he's different, right? Like that's. If you've ever heard me drum, then you hear Chris drum, like that's different, right? Like, this is Jesus. Jesus is different, right? Like, He is different than us, and we have to respect the fact that He is not just another guy. He's not just another sage. He's not just even a really wise guy. He's not even just a really holy guy. He's God, right? He is different. He is wholly different than us. And the Bible tells us that that reverential fear positions us to receive His goodness. It's like that guy you grew up with, and uh, you just looked at him like whatever, and then one day he became something, and in the back of your mind, you're like, yeah, still, I remember when he got beat up in the fifth grade. You ain't, you ain't all that. Like, you ain't, you ain't really all that. Or, or, or the girl who's now famous and rich, and you're like, I remember when you got dumped in the fourth grade or in the seventh grade, and you cried, so you ain't all that. See, Jesus is all that. He's always been all that. He will always be all that, right? Like, this is who he will always be. He will always be all that. Yeah, and so what he says is if you will look at me like I'm all that, you can get all that I have into your life. This is why we need the reverential fear of the Lord. Because when we think that Jesus is my homeboy, he's my, he's my peer, he's just another guy, another voice, another wisdom, then, then we stand above the knowledge of God, and we don't walk in neither wisdom nor the knowledge of God because we've not positioned ourselves to receive it coming into our life. We have to fully understand that when God speaks, He speaks truth. And I do not know truth outside of the revealed truth called Jesus Christ and the Spirit that He sends to live on the inside of me. This is the only way that we get real truth into our life is by respecting that Jesus Christ is the perfect Son of God, sent to die for man, resurrected from the dead, right at the right hand of the Father where He'll come back one day while He's filling us with His Spirit so that we can fully know and love God. That is it. Outside of that, amen, we just have human wisdom. Come on. One clap, we all clap. Let's give it up for Jesus. We thank you. How do I know? 
how do I know that this scary Jesus that we're talked about, that the scary Jesus that we're taught, the, the mean, angry God, the, the God who's like, he's itching for a fight. How do I know he's not the real God? Well, as it turns out, I do this for a living. And uh, I went to school for a lot of years to study this book so I can tell you who Jesus really is. And not only that, I've read the book. And the people in the book are not confused about who Jesus is. Let's look at First John. John the Beloved wrote this. He said in verse 16 of his, First uh, John chapter 4, verse 16, John says, God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God. And God remains in him. By this love, oh, this is good. By this, love is perfected with us. Has love been perfected in you, do you think? That should bother us a little bit. Like, I really want love to be perfected in me. By this, love is perfected in us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as He is, we also are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love, but we love because He first... This is the Word of God. Despite what you have been taught. Despite what has been told to you about angry God. You see, John met Jesus. John, who felt he wasn't worthy to be a disciple, felt like, who are we to even walk with God? He got to experience the love of God. He, hallelujah. When he, got to, he got to partake of this love. Last week we talked about keeping our eyes on the good future Jesus has for us. Are you with me right now? We talked about how we can be too short-sighted, right? How we can focus on the problems that are ahead instead of the great future Jesus has for us. We get so short-sighted. Little problems come. We can be having a great week and then a little, a little, a little problem happens. And Jesus like, just look up a little higher. Your vision is too low. My wife and I have been married so long now. It's been a long time, right? We've been married a very long time. It feels shorter now than when our marriage wasn't great. I don't know how that worked. It felt like a very long marriage when our marriage was rocky. But now that our marriage is great, it feels shorter. Does that make any sense to anybody? It felt the, the days felt like years when things are, you know, you're working things out. Don't, don't, don't get all holy on me. When you get married, you're going to work some things out. And it's going to take a little, bit of, a, little bit of, a little bit of friction to work some things out. And, and we're at a place now in our marriage where it's like a little thing happens and it's like, in light of 23 years, does this thing even matter? Like, in light of 23 years of faithfulness, does, does it really matter? Does, does the too much jelly in the peanut butter and jelly? Just because, you know, there's two, there's two camps in the world today. You can, you, can, you can split everybody into two groups of people. Well, three, I would say. Number one is the people who put too much peanut butter and not enough jelly. Then there's the people who put too much jelly and not enough peanut butter. And then there's people who don't think peanut butter and jelly are good, and those people are not to be trusted. Right? You just don't trust them at all. Those, those, you do not let them take care of your kids or your, or your money. Don't let them take care of your money or your kids because you don't know. You, I don't know what kind of person don't like peanut butter and jelly. That can't be right. Great deep childhood trauma has not been dealt with yet. 
if you don't have a deep love for peanut butter and jelly. Now, I'm not going to tell you which side is the right side. I'll let the Holy Ghost tell you which you should have more peanut butter or more jelly. But let me just tell you that my wife came up on the wrong side of the tracks when it comes to peanut butter and jelly. But, you know, we fill in gaps with one another. But my wife does something about the peanut butter jelly sandwich that I don't. She actually makes it, right? And so the, 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 the peanut butter and jelly sandwich that is made and served to me is better than the peanut butter and jelly sandwich that I have to make myself, regardless of the jelly and peanut butter ratio, right? This is where I'm at in our marriage. Early in the marriage, I would be upset that the ratio was wrong. Now I'm like, ooh, I got a sandwich. That's all it. I'm just happy. I'm just, amen. I'm just happy. I'm just happy. I remember, I remember when we got married and I just was like, man, clothes just magically show up in my dresser. This is awesome. I get them dirty and then they show up in my dresser clean. That is amazing because I was a bachelor and my clothes spent a lot of time in hampers, right? Like that was the dirty hampers or clean hampers because you got to take things out to just, or just the dryer because the dryer when you're single is just another dresser, right? When you're, when you're single, it's like your second dresser. Like, oh, it's not here. It's not in the hamper. Must be in the dryer, right? Like, that's just what it is. And then I got married, and clothes just started magically showing up in the dresser. It was, it was awesome. It was, I was like, this is beautiful. I should have got married a long time ago. This is the greatest thing ever. My wife, not as excited about that process, but I feel the Lord will bring her into His goodness sooner or later, and that she will rejoice in His goodness and provision as I have and come into the same miracle that I have come into of the laundry. I'm not sure how I got down that road. It's looking like our second miracle may not happen. I just want to let you know that. <clears throat> I'm trusting that the communion one will. Nobody had faith it would, but I understand. In today's passage, as we start Advent, <clears throat> it's a crazy passage to start Advent as we're looking for Jesus to come. It's, 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 it's kind of a wild, apocalyptical passage. Now, you got to remember, Jesus was discipling His followers, and He's sitting on the Mount of Olives. Uh, as I've described to you several times, Mount of Olives is, is, if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, go and go to Jerusalem and go where Jesus walked. It'll blow your mind. Uh, I was not an Israel guy at all until I went to Israel. It was amazing. So He's sitting on the Mount of Olives with His disciples. And it's an olive orchard at that time. I almost called an orchard, garden, garden, I guess. Anyways, uh, in, in the garden there with all these olive trees. And uh, they're looking at the temple. Underneath is the Kidron Valley, which David called the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Uh, through there, right there. It's like between here to maybe Yamato, like the temple is right there, right? And so he's looking at the temple, and uh, he's telling them, man, you know, um, bad things are coming. We'll let you guys know. I, I know where you think this whole movement is going. It ain't going there, right? It's It's not... It's not going to go to where you become rich and famous. This is, this is not where it's going. And he starts telling them, man, you know, um, just want to let you guys know bad times are coming. And you're like, yep, bad times are coming. I know it's that Herod, you know, it's, it's whoever's elected the emperor. You know, it's always the government's fault. You know, that's just, okay. he's like, no, I mean, it's going to be even worse than that. He's like, um, they're going to come after you. He's like, oh, they're coming after us now. Mm, not like this, right? They're going to come after you, uh, and um, I'm going to be killed. And uh, you're going to be persecuted. And as a matter of fact, that temple, which is the center of our entire worship, uh, it's going to be destroyed. Now, when you go to Jerusalem, the temple is built with stones. 
the largest of which is 36 feet long. Now, I want you to think about a stone 36 feet long, 4 feet tall, 4 feet wide. And that's just one stone among tens of thousands built for the Temple Mount and where the Temple was. And he's like, this massive thing, it's going to be completely destroyed. And they're like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah, that thing Daniel called the abomination of desolation. Yeah, that, that's going to happen in, in your lifetime. And he's like, um, uh, they're like, uh, but wait a minute, you're the Messiah. I thought the Messiah is going to come and, and rescue us. You're going to save us from Rome. You're going to save us from the religious leaders who have corrupted the temple. And Jesus is like, hmm, yeah. See, I actually come uh, to rescue you, but I need you to look a little higher. You're looking at this temporal life. You're looking at the troubles that you're going through right now. Um, and I do care about that, but I want you to look a little higher. I'm looking to not just save you from Rome or save you from the corrupt priesthood or the corrupt rabbis. I've come to save you from the corruption of this world. I've come to save you from the fallen nature of this world. They were expecting things to break loose, and Jesus was like, no, it's going to be worse than you thought. And so that leaves us with the question, how do we see God's deliverance when life looks so dark? Jesus is telling them life is going to get very, very dark. You're going to have lots of problems, but I want you to not be worried about that. And how do we not worry about a world that looks like it's falling apart? You see, Jesus had wisdom for them in that very place and in that very time, he told them how to get ready for this destruction of Jerusalem. And in fact, they made it. They survived. The apostles got out and they went ahead and planted the church of Jesus Christ all over the world. But that wisdom is still applicable to our lives today. And so I quickly want to go through this quickly, Jesus, uh, uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want to quickly go through this so that we can know in hard times how do we see the salvation of the Lord. The first thing he tells them, he warns them, is you have to watch out for false saviors. We've got to watch out for false messiahs in our life. Now, there are varieties of messiahs that come to save us. This comes in all kinds of ways. You ever notice when you're in a problem and you just tell somebody about it, they got advice? for a situation they've never been in. Anybody got a relative like that who if they find out anything about your life, they immediately want to tell you how you should deal with it. And it's the last person you want advice from. Isn't that funny? Isn't it funny? The person that you want advice from the most are the least likely to talk without being asked. And the people who are the most likely to give you advice are the ones you don't want any advice from. Have you noticed that in your life? Slow to speak, you know, quick to listen, so to speak. Those are the people we want advice from. And Jesus, Jesus lets them know. He's like, man, you're going to have some false saviors come in. You're going to have some false messiahs who are going to come and give you advice. And you've got you you to watch out for these people. There are people, when you're in a problem, when you're having a hard time, they will use your problems for their benefit. 
They get you on their side. They get you upset with a person that they're upset with. I've watched it destroy churches. I've watched people that I love get taken away from the Lord by selfish people who could not own their own issues. Instead, would spread it like a cancer. I have seen people who had good families, but because one family member was toxic and was willing to speak into every situation, destroyed families. There are people who have bad advice. They're false messiahs. They have false advice for you, and they are to be resisted. James 3.17 says that God's wisdom is peace-loving. You know a real word comes from God when it brings peace. It may not be the answer you want, but it brings peace. He said it was peace-loving, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, and good fruits. When you're in a situation, you don't know what to do. And you're like, man, this doesn't make any kind of sense, but I have peace with this. I would tell you, never make a major decision in your life until you get the peace of God on that situation. You can expect God to give peace with His Word in your life. Now, that peace, unfortunately, comes with a turmoil that you have to react to God's Word. We have to actually embody what He's told us. Anybody know what I'm talking about right now? Like, you know, God's like, you have to cut off that relationship because it's toxic. Like, ah, I don't want to do that. But I know it's the right thing to do. I, I know that this is the way that I should go. But these, these, these false messiahs come in all kinds of ways. Bad advice. Hey, why don't you just cut some corners? It's not that big a deal. You don't have to pay all your taxes. Here's a way to get out of taxes or... or or, you know, you can bend this morality a little bit. There's a, there's a horrible, horrible situation happening in a ministry that I've loved for years where the senior leader gave just crazy prophetic words to people. And then he used them for his benefit. I'll just tell you what it, the crazy words were. Middle-aged man told young 20-something-year-old women, uh, oh, the Lord told me that my wife is going to pass away. And that you're going to be my new wife. And so we can start living as husband and wife now as I get a secret apartment for you. And then he did this over a string of years. This is a famous ministry. If I said his name, you'd know who he was. And it's all coming apart right now because some gullible young woman didn't say, wait a minute, I know this is a key leader in the body of Christ, but this is immoral. This, is, this isn't God. This is yuck. That's, that's, that's nasty, right? It's nasty. But we got to, no matter who it comes from, we got to say, no, that is wrong. This gossip is wrong. This adultery is wrong. This fornication is wrong. These, these secret plans are wrong. Telling people, hey, don't tell anybody about this, that's wrong. We need to be righteous. We, see, being righteous protects us from the plans of the devil. Matthew 24, Jesus said, listen, these false Christs will come do not believe them. There's people who profit from your pain. Do not believe them. They'll come and say, God has abandoned you in this season. Do not believe them. See, what I have found is when you go through the hardest times, the enemy's voice is the loudest voice you will hear and he will lie. And when you discern the voice of the devil in your hard times, it's a lot easier to hear God. I'm going to say that again. 
when you're going through a hard time, when everything feels like it's falling apart, and the, and the voice of doom pops in your head, am I the only one that happens to or you know what I'm talking about? When like thing after thing after thing happens, and you look at all the problems, and you come to a conclusion, ah, I know what's happening. This terrible thing must be true. Now the devil has just told you what his plan is for you to know. And if you will listen to that, then you'll know, ah, I know, God is the opposite. You see, the devil comes in the midst of your struggles to make you think that God is not close. But what I have found is that hard times mean heaven is near. This is what I know to be true. When hard times come, heaven is closer than ever. This comes all the time in our lives. Psalm 34 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. What does it say? But the Lord delivers them all. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. We were in our morning meeting before service where we pray, talk about the service. And it was person after person have warfare this morning. So if you went through some warfare, you're probably the righteous. That's probably God has something for you. This week got so weird, I said to my wife, listen how crazy this week. It just, it got, I was upset when it started, but then it just got stupid. And when things get stupid, I'm like, that's just the devil right there. I just need to, I just need to stop looking at what the devil is doing because God is good. Amen? Are you all with me this morning? See, God is good. He's really good. He's really, really, really good, and we can call out to Him in times of need. Look at here, Isaiah 64. There's a, there's a, there's this, in uh, Isaiah 64, Isaiah is like, man, everything is falling apart in the earth. You promised us that you would be near us, but things are bad. And he cries out to God, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, that the mountains would quake in your presence, as the fire kindles bushwood, as the fires cause water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. Isaiah is crying out, God, I got problems. I need you to come and make everything right. And when you make everything right, do me a favor, punish the people doing bad to me. Because making things right for me would make those who hate me suffer, right? That's how we fall into this world system. Not only do I need my situation to get better, I need the people who are doing me wrong to get worse, right? Not just me, my water raised. I need their water to go down. I need vengeance on them. I need evil things to happen to them, right? This is, this is, this is how the devil tempts us in our problems to start doing his work in our prayers to God. I hope you caught that. To transform the loving prayers that Jesus taught us into getting involved in witchcraft and cursing people. This is not how we get better. This is not how things change. Are you with me? I'm in this weird, amazing season right now. The presence of God is, is, is so near to my life in this season why when things got crazy this week, I was just like, this is just stupid because God is close. None of these things around me in the end will matter. None, none, none of these things, none of these things in the end will have any effect on my life. And um, 
Scripture is coming alive to me in a new way in this season. I'm, I'm feeling like I'm reading the epistles and as they describe who Jesus is, I feel like I'm sitting there at the table with them and I can feel the emotion with which they wrote these Scriptures talking about talking about the God whom we... When you read 1 John 1, when he talks about this one whom we know, whom we've, whom we've communed with, that we've had relationship with. When I read in 1 Peter 1, where Peter talks about this God who he's experiencing, who he's loved, this man he thought was just a man. He thought he was just Jesus the rabbi. And then he was murdered. He knew there was something different about him when he came back from the dead. That would be an indication, right? But since then, he was filled with the Spirit. And in his prayer, he began to experience this living God. And John, as he writes about Jesus, he loved Him in the natural, but something happened after he got filled with the Spirit. And this love that he had for the man Jesus got transformed into this love that he experienced from the God Jesus. This love that would fill his heart and gave them a hope that was bigger than this world. It was such a tangible hope that they had. I, oh my God, I, I want that. I, I, I want to know you the way John knew you. I want to know you the way Peter knew you. I, I, I want to I see, see into the future, into my future, like they saw into their future. Like when they looked into the future, all they saw was a bright light of your love that they were going to spend eternity enveloped in. I, I, I want to I experience God in a way that no matter what happens around me, I know that the living God is right there with me. I, I want to know the Father the way Jesus knew the Father, where people are like, get yourself off the cross. And He's like, you don't understand. There's whole legions of angels that are around me at any time that would rescue me if that's what I needed. But I am so surrendered to the Father's love that I dare not do something outside of His will, even if it looks like I die. Because I trust my Father. This is, this is where your pastor's at. This is, this is where this church is moving to a presence that transforms hearts. A presence that transforms our vision for the future. It's not about religion. It's not about ceremony. It's not about reciting. It's about, do you know the love of God? Have you experienced His love? Is it alive on the inside of you? And if not, I hope that you would be converted to the loving, living God Jesus. At the beginning of this prayer that Isaiah writes, he's praying all the right things. God, rend the heavens. Come down with your power. We've seen it before. We've seen, we've seen what you've done before, and I pray that. I do. I pray, Lord, come. Pour out your power. Pour, pour it out in ways that people can see, and I will confess that I have prayed more than once and let my enemies experience it in ways that I don't want to experience it. I, 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 I can confess that I have prayed that, but Isaiah is crying out for God to invade the earth in a way that makes his life better. But then, as with all prayer, he got smarter. You see, when we pray, we don't come up with the right things to say and then we go to God. 
We go to God with the words we have. And as we share the words we have with God, He somehow supernaturally begins changing the words we use. So it can change the heart we have. So out of our heart may be words that He will honor. This is what prayer is about. It's not just about saying magic spells. It's not just about reciting the right things. And it's not just about complaining. It's about this relationship, this dynamic relationship where we are speaking what's in our heart. And as we speak what's in our heart, His Spirit comes and changes our heart. And He literally begins to give us the words that we don't want to speak, but we know are righteous and true. Those prayers that we make in the presence of God, those covenants we make with God when we're in His presence, that when we leave His presence, we're like, ah, did I really promise that? Did I really, did I really swear that to God? You know what I'm talking about. He started to remember as he prayed the good times they had with God in the past. And he had to admit, Israel did turn her back on God, and so he left them to their own devices, which is the most terrible thing God can do to you. And he decided that he would do something about it. And so Isaiah continued to pray in this prayer that he records in Isaiah chapter 64. He says, he gets to this place of intimacy. He says, but now, Lord, you are Father. We are clay. And you are our potter. And all of us are the work of your hands. Do you see this? Do you see this shift in the language from, I know what's best. Come and smite my enemies to... I am surrendered to you, the living God. Like Isaiah, I cry out for the suddenlies. I, I pray out, I cry out for an, an invasion of his power. I ask the angel If we read the Bible, we see that there's just a couple stories told over and over and over again. It's the fruit of following God over the long haul. Jesus said the kingdom is like a man planting seeds. And if you want to eat in the spring and you want to eat in the fall, you better plant seeds early because the fruit takes time. Jesus said the kingdom is like a man planting seeds. He said it's like a farmer. He said it's like an investor. It's like being a disciple. Most times, a get-rich-quick investments are more like scams. Real investment takes time or it takes a lot of work. It's rarely quick. This is what the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like. And Isaiah said that the kingdom is like a potter and a potting wheel. Except there's something supernatural that happens here. I want you to see this. That if you are like the clay, as Isaiah said, and God is like the potter on the potting wheel, He gets this lump of clay, and the first thing He does is He slams it on this spinning wheel that we might call, I don't know, the earth. And while we're on this spinning wheel called the earth, God is slowly forming the pot. But He's not just saying, I'm going to put my hands on this and Whatever comes out of it, that's probably going to be good, and that's probably what I wanted. No, 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 no. A master potter sets out to make something on purpose. And he slams the pot onto the wheel so it sticks to the place that he's forming it. And then he forms it according to its purpose. Now, the clay has no idea what the potter's making. The clay may want to be a vase, but the potter's not making a vase. 
may want to be a cup, but the potter's not making a cup. You think, maybe if I can just turn into a small saucer, that would be great. I don't know. Why are my walls going up so high, God? Why, why is this so large? What, this, I just wanted a little hidden life. And God is like, no, 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 no. You are going to be a massive pot that's going to serve many people. And I can't do that if I only form you into a small vessel. And so the clay gets stretched out. And it feels like it's getting so thin it'll burst at any moment. But God's like, I know what I am doing. Has anybody been in a season where you felt like things were getting thin out and stretched out? God, I don't know if I can get stretched anymore. And God is like, you have no idea how much you can be stretched. You see, God forms you into the vessel He needs to carry the anointing you're called to carry. He knows what He wants to fill you with, and so He is the one forming you according to His plan. So like Israel here with Isaiah, we have to undergo the discipleship process. You may have to go through people turning on you and reacting well because that's part of God's plan to form you into the vessel that can carry the anointing He has for you. He may bring you a spouse who has the wrong peanut butter jelly formula so that you know how to roll with the punches in times of great distress. I'm not getting a sandwich made for me for a long time, I have a feeling. Here's what's kind of funny. You ever get some money, and you're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And then, like, a bill comes up. I'm like, I just had that money. What? What? Devil came and stole my money. Right? But check this out. How many times we cry? God, I need the money for that thing. He's like, the last time I gave you money early, you complained. I can't trust you with early money. You've got to wait until you need it. Because I'm not giving you money to complain. Our kids got to the age where, like, it's not fun taking you on vacations. We're done with family vacations. It's done. Y'all act like teenagers on the vacation. Maybe when you're 25, you will appreciate it, and you won't complain. I'm not paying money to hear my kids complain in another country. That's not happening. Done. Done with that. So they get a little older, we're like, then I'll take you on a vacation because I'm not paying to hear you complain. I do not need that. Anybody, if you've got older kids, amen. I can, I can watch my kids fight at home. I don't need to take them somewhere. The parents know what I'm talking about. Yeah, here's the vacation. You're staying home and mom and dad are going to go be happy. You get a vacation from us, and we get a vacation from you. Don't burn the house down. You're on your own. Hot pockets in the freezer. Let me just get the band to come on up here. I got I to I gotta bring this in for a landing. I don't need I don't, I don't, um, We don't need to sing. We're just going to play a little music here. So we're going to have. Uh, we're going to have. So listen, listen. So if we are, if we're going to. Um, if hard times me, God is near. And God knows what He's calling us to. 
We we are. I had a, I had a word about this earlier. But this this next year is the is the year of Thanksgiving. And we gotta we gotta be we gotta learn to be thankful. Turn down a little bit there. Listen, we need to we need to we need to be radically. Turn the music down, please. We need to be radically thankful so it will change. It'll, it, it changes our circumstances. We got to learn to be radically thankful. We got to learn to be radically forgiving. We got to learn to be radically loving. We need to stay thankful and watch God begin to work. Listen, you, you, I'm challenging you, and I'm having conversations with people that you will learn to live to be thankful in every situation because God is working on your behalf. Trials come, I'm thankful because God is doing something in my life. I'm thankful because God is still God and He's going to work in this circumstance. And so Jesus was discipling His followers, preparing them for the baptism of the Holy Ghost and leadership in the church. He's saying, listen, no matter how bad things seem, I want you to keep looking to me. This is what God is saying to us today. No matter how bad things seem, we have to look higher. We have to look and see Jesus. We have to look and say, I, I see this thing down the road, and if I focus on it, it's going to slow down my call. i got to look a little bit higher to Jesus. i got to look that I'm going to spend an eternity in heaven with my God and everything that happens between now and then is leading to my ultimate salvation. Are you hearing me? We're going to be the most radically hopeful church in South Florida. We're going to be the most radically thankful church in South Florida. And you know what's going to happen? We're going to be the most radically blessed church in this whole area. Because God is going to pour His blessings out on those who are thankful, who are hopeful, and who believe God for the best. We will not complain. We will remain hopeful and watch God do miracles. You don't know how many businesses are about to come out of this church. I see the most supernatural wave of businesses, of financial breakthrough, of relational breakthrough. I just, I see it in the spirit when I pray. So Jesus told his disciples, watch out, stay alert, for you do not know when the appointed time is. You do not know when the appointed time is. I want you to, I want you to hear this. There's a, a common theme in every false prophet. They know when Jesus is coming back. And Jesus said, no, no, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. What does that mean? We don't know the future like we think we know. And every time you say things are going to work out bad and I'm going to be destroyed, false prophet. What if 
What if this trial you're going through right now is preparing you to receive the blessing God has for you? Maybe you couldn't receive it before, but now God is setting you up for breakthrough. What if God is preparing you? Maybe, maybe, Duke, maybe, maybe God is really God. What if we've met him and he's really in control? What if he actually is the potter and we are the clay and the thing he's setting us up for is so great that we had to be stretched in a way we had never been stretched before because we need to be a vessel so much bigger to carry so much more than we ever have before. And so we got to go through this little season of hardship. We got to go through this little season of trial. We got to go through this little season of betrayal, this little season of not knowing what's going to happen and standing in the midst of this trial and saying, I refuse I refuse to say God is not going to bring me through. I refuse to say things are not going to work out. I refuse to say that my calamity is coming. I refuse to agree with the enemy and say, I'm not going to make it through this. I've made it through every single hard day I've ever lived in. It's going to happen again. I'm going to make it through again. What if we just begin to end the future and say, God has delivered me through every trial I've ever had. Things I thought were going to kill me. I thought I'd be destroyed. I thought I'd be embarrassed. And I've heard your stories. I've heard your testimonies. I know how people have done you wrong. I know how life has given you a bad hand. I know how things you think you were faithful and they've betrayed you. I know all these terrible things that happen to so many people. And yet, here you are. The body of Christ. The beloved of the Lord. Here you are, a testimony to God's faithfulness, a testimony to God's miracle-working power. Here you are, a conqueror, not defeated, not overcome, not broken down, not destroyed, but actually the love of God, filled with the Spirit believing that Jesus Christ is coming back for you and that you will live in eternity forever with Him. you say amen? Stand with me if you would. Come on, somebody. Come on, thank Jesus. Just take a second and thank the Lord Jesus. Come on, just begin to thank Him. Come on, just expend a little effort and thank Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Come on, just take 15 seconds and thank Him. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. We thank you, Jesus. And now we're going to receive the Lord's table. Can I have the elders come forward? You can serve on one side and have another team over here. I don't know who's doing what. Figure it out if you would, honey. Just tell people. I don't know who's doing what. I come up with bad plans. My wife has to bail me out all the time. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, broken for you. What we're going to do is you're going to come up on the outer side and you're going to go back to your seat on the inside. Tracy. Who's on this side over here with some gloves? Come on forward and receive the elements. We're going to restart. Cynthia, if you'll stay up front here with us. You come up here with me, we'll receive it together.
had picked five people to do this by accident. Because I'm administratively challenged. Give us more music, please. that he was betrayed. Jesus, he took the bread and he broke it. He knew that he was the bread of life and that his life would be broken and his body would be broken. And in the midst of that struggle, he gave thanks. Now, as we receive the, the bread and the cup today, I want you to ask Holy Spirit to come and help you with whatever it is you're struggling with internally. If Jesus could thank the Father for His coming crucifixion, you can thank God for anything you're going through right now and allow that test to be turned into a testimony. Take a moment and examine your own heart. Father, I thank you for my life and what I'm going through now. I thank you that it's going to turn me into who you want me to be. I put my faith in you. And he took the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. And so, Jesus, we do remember what you did on that cross. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the Holy Ghost. Someone's going to get a frat, fresh baptism of the Spirit right here with these elements. Receive the body and the cup of the Lord. Father, we do pray in the name of Jesus. We thank you. Wow. We thank you for your...